Good morning. It's Aya Wimala, and I am here on this beautiful Easter Sunday. And it's amazing. Uh, the All the years, as I was raising my two children in Wisconsin, Easter, which is usually later than this, uh, the 4th of April is an early date for Easter. But uh, what we remember a lot about Easter is uh, going to Easter egg hunts and the kids would have to wear their snowsuits or their winter jackets. And my daughter's birthday is the, around the middle of April and uh, her birthday parties would usually end up being very cold. So <laughs> they were ready for spring, but all these little kids wearing their jackets and things. So this is wonderful. We're supposed to be uh, maybe hit 70 today, so it's sunny and the skies look clear, so uh, a, a wonderful different kind of Easter Sunday. So uh, I see uh, congratulations to those of you who took uh, precepts yesterday at Blue Lotus. And uh, that's all. that was wonderful to watch. And I just started reading this morning. I just recently was uh, subscribed to uh, Matthew Fox, who's a Christian theologian and was a former priest. But he has a beautiful um, daily meditation you can subscribe to. And I hadn't read anything by Matthew Fox in a long time. And he's very... Uh, and a very uh, prolific writer. And what he was writing about today was the image of uh, Christ rising is very similar, that it's the same meaning as awakening, the same, the same message that the Buddha was teaching to people to wake up was uh, the way Matthew Fox is looking at it, and I haven't read the entire article, and I know there's probably a lot of literature about this, but I don't want to uh, mangle it up. But that those that the Christ rising from the dead and uh, come back and allowing some people to see him, that image is is one of waking up, and it's the same as the kind of the co uh, cosmic Christ and the cosmic uh, Buddha, that the message is the is same message. So I'm just beginning to read about that, but I thought, well, that's inspirational, isn't it? So waking up to the fact, and what Matthew Fox talks about, it was uh, that people shouldn't, be, shouldn't fear death, that what we need to do is be living in the present moment. And that fear of death causes us to put our focus on the wrong things. Oh, and Eva's saying that the last day of Passover, of course, is an observation of liberation. It's the same thing, liberation. We t and so we talk about uh, the Buddha's message was about waking up. And liber liberation is that uh, waking up completely. So when we talk about uh, nibbana, that conditioned, that con that uh, state state of mind is 
is of being completely awake. So I love those I love those images and how we can see the connections between our beliefs and uh, just appreciate that to uh, to allow ourselves to be open to that and to the to the mystery of all those connections. That's a human desire. That, I mean, it's human to be fearful of death. And the Buddha taught us so much about letting go of that fear and living in the moment. That's the whole purpose of being mindful, is to be in the moment, not be caught up in dread of uh, what's going to happen when we get old and what's going to happen when we die, but to be uh, awake in the moment and focused on what we what we can enjoy, what we can do, what we can think in the moment, getting out of the traps of being stuck and fear. So so those are the same those are the same questions people have always been asking. And there are these wonderful teachers who have arisen who uh, who made it their who made it their work. Their own journey was to discover as much as they could about ways to help reduce that that suffering, that fear. So uh, it's it's always good to find those connections, I think. So I keep saying I'm going to quit reading Collecting Gold Dust, and I keep wanting to come back to that. But let's see, maybe we don't even need to read in that today. When I say I'm going to quit reading, people will will uh, send messages saying, "Oh, they they like it. It's okay." <laughs> here's here's something called a lighter approach, and uh, introducing the chapter. He says, "We are not patient with gentle awareness. We do not believe it will work or trust that it will grow into something." Yeah, gentle. We want to do it uh, when we're when we're eager and ready to start uh, pursuing the Dhamma. Um, we can we can become over eager, can't we? We we don't want to wait for gentle. We want to be somewhere. We want to be there right away. So let's try reading a little bit of this. So that's the introduction <clears throat> to a chapter late. It maybe the last chapter in the book almost, called a lighter approach. When I began to meditate in earnest at home, my awareness was inconsistent. I overcompensated for this spotty awareness by putting in a lot more personal effort. I wanted to be as mindful as possible, but I was just too tired to do any more than that. Even then, there was only so much I could do. After some time, I began to notice a lighter, general, general, but discontinuous awareness that done day after day formed a pattern of long-term practice. The momentum that came out of general awareness created these dots that came together to form a tsunami of awareness that could be seen clearly. Isn't that wonderful the way he writes about that? I love when he says, even then, there was only so much I could do. Sometimes we beat on ourselves, 
because of that, right? We need to do more. We need to practice more. We need to go to more classes on Zoom. We need to, you know, there's an endless list of what we need to do. We do not believe gentle awareness will work or trust that it will grow into something. So we are not patient with gentle awareness. Personal effort uses our own effort while waiting patiently for momentum to grow uses a natural process. That's really good. Let me read that again. That's very important. Personal effort uses our own energy, like me. I'm doing it. While waiting patiently for momentum to grow uses a natural process, a natural law, and natural energy. Unfortunately, personal effort is short-lived and does not allow us to function in the day-to-day. We then begin to doubt our ability to live our lives with awareness. The idea of figuratively looking lightly out of the corner of your eye describes a kind of awareness that watches the workings of the mind in its receiving state. The mind becomes aware of all the objects that match this mental frequency. Alternatively, when we turn and pay attention solely on the objects and make too much effort to see these objects, it will feel like the objects have disappeared because the observer and observed are no longer at the same frequency. We can use an analogy with the optometrist here. I was just thinking about that when I was reading that other sentence. When you go to the optometrist, they might have you try out different power lenses to determine what would work for you. When the power is right for you, then you see the letters clearly. When the optometrist tries out a power that is too low or too high, the letters on the chart become blurry. It's the same deal with the mind that is at the right frequency with objects. While you may assume that putting in more personal effort will yield better results, you may still not be able to see clearly. A light general awareness allows us to continue functioning to do the activities we need to do while a light recognition of what is happening works steadily in the background. This very gentle awareness, while not continuous in the beginning, will eventually gain momentum. When it becomes a natural, continuous awareness, it will really feel like you're aware and you'll feel like you're living this awareness in everything that you're doing. For me, it was at this point that I really understood the true nature of vipassana, which means insight, meditation, and began to believe that it is possible to become enlightened while living life. That's so amazing, so important, isn't it? A gentle, light, general awareness. Using wisdom. Meditators often forget to use their natural wisdom when they meditate at home because they haven't practiced using it. Investigate and use your wisdom 
to check in on whether awareness is present and how much effort is being used instead of blindly putting in more effort. Here are some considerations. Can you see your level of effort? Is there stability of mind? Do you know what that experience is like? Do you know your level of confidence or faith? Is wisdom at work? Meditators can normally recognize, recognize when there is awareness. However, fewer meditators can recognize wisdom at work. Wisdom is one word, but it operates in so many ways. Sometimes we miss the fact that wisdom is there and doing its work because we aren't familiar with the ways of wisdom. We are not close to wisdom like we are close with close friends. We're more familiar with effort. Isn't that true? We're more familiar with effort than with wisdom. I see meditators trying hard to stay awake. When we are sleepy, we should instead do a bit of investigation of this sleepiness. Why is there sleepiness now? What has brought it on? What does it feel like? Instead, meditators react negatively to sleepiness. They will try different tactics to fix the sleepiness instead of seeing it as it is and learning more about it. I see this playing out in the Dhamma Hall during sitting sessions. Some meditators start, some meditator starts falling asleep and the expression on his face shows that he is unhappy with himself as he picks himself up. Blindly continuing these ab actions could just form bad habits. If sitting meditation makes you sleepy, sometimes being active can be good. If you give the mind work to do, if it is being actively aware then it will be alert and awake because it is doing something. You can also try sitting with your eyes open. We need to use wisdom the way we use our intelligence to solve problems, grow our businesses, or think through what needs to be done at home and at work. In daily life, we figure out how to do things, consult with the right people, and strategize to make a profit. We need to recognize the presence of wisdom and apply similar skills to meditation. Problem solving for yourself. I often circulate around the Dhamma Hall of the Sui Umin Meditation Center in the afternoons. There was a nun who sat right up front and I would see that her face would turn pink over and over again. Later in the interview, <laughs> this, I, this is a funny story. Uh, later in the interview, I asked her why she was blushing repeatedly while she sat. She said that it was because of her body's tendency to pass a lot of wind and she felt bad for the person sitting behind her every time. So she went red in the face when her body did it again. I asked, so what are you doing sitting in the front of the hall? If you are concerned, and if this is what your body does, sit at the back of the hall. 
the door is wide open, and you don't have to sit in front. This meditator felt that she should have been sitting up front because she was a nun. We cause ourselves trouble with our beliefs. Suppressing such bodily needs can be uncomfortable and eventually make us sick. Instead, we can find alternate solutions. Set yourself free. Do what you need to do to meditate instead of holding certain ideas in your heads without considering an appropriate solution. I love that example. (laughs) He just really tells it like it is, doesn't he? But what a great, I mean, you won't ever forget that example, but it's so true. I know sometimes people, um, if, you know, if you can't sit in the position that you think is appropriate for meditation or right uh, for meditation, some people just give up on meditation. And that's not at all uh, why we have meditation instructions. Uh, if you if you need to sit in a chair, don't ever be ashamed of that, or don't ever don't ever think you have to adapt your posture to a position that is extremely uh, rare in our culture to to sit in. If you have the flexibility and it's a it's a good pose for your body and you're comfortable with it, that's fine. But but if not, um, don't beat yourself and don't feel uh, embarrassed or ashamed that you can't sit sit on the floor in a full lotus position or, or any kind of position. But uh, I know that this is true at a, at the, if you go to a Vipassana 10-day retreat. Uh, if you're monastic, they, want, they ask you to, it's a place of honor, I guess, for you to sit right up front. So she wasn't willing to uh, not do that. I I went and I sat in the back. (laughs) Creating a Dhamma community. Before I began meditating, I was the black sheep of the family. My words carried little or no weight because I was known to lie about things. But about three years into my practice, I spoke less and less as I watched my speech very carefully. By then, everyone would listen whenever I spoke because what I said was something of value. They listened because they knew that what I said had a lot of thought behind it. Sometimes my family would be unnerved because they knew, because they knew what I was saying to be the truth. My family had regular Sunday social get-togethers where we would eat and then talk. The conversation usually revolved around the latest cars, movie stars, and such. I had been meditating for some time by then and found this to be a waste of time. I considered what could be done and slowly an idea formed in my mind. One day I suggested that we all meditate together. All of us had meditation experience because my father used to bring us all to the monastery, so they agreed to meditate. We all sat for 15 minutes initially, and then we would eat. After a while, the idea crystallized, and we sat together in meditation every time we met. 
After eating or during the meal, I then suggested a discussion, and we would talk about life, whether we were happy or unhappy. I would ask them one by one, how do you feel about your life? Do you feel satisfied with your life? The party would turn serious. One brother replied that he was not satisfied with his life, and another replied that it was 50-50. Slowly, my siblings began to share the details of their lives and feelings, and someone would cry after sharing and get some relief. It was not something they had considered. Everyone was just sort of going through life, time was passing by, and they'd never given any thought to how they were living their own lives. Then, from one week to the next, the questions would continue. If you're not happy with your life, how do you make yourself happy? How do you deal with it? We brought the Dhamma into the conversation, and it turned into Dhamma discussions. With wisdom, you will also know how to help others. I think that's now today is a day typically when uh, people are uh, join with their families and have uh, family time together. And with my family now, it's a we call it Easter Sunday. We, we my uh, mother-in-law always had the tradition to celebrate holidays on a Saturday, so Sundays would be open. So even Easter was celebrated on Saturday. Um, and we've maintained it, even though she's been gone for a long time. But its I'm sure a lot of us uh, kind of dream of having a meal with our uh, extended family, just like what he's talking about he created with his family. It sounds pretty wonderful to change some of the discussions just from that very mundane conversation that's really not about anything, but it's just uh, kind of a social way to contact each other and change it to something where you're really talking about um, how are you, how is your life, You know, are you happy? What do you need to do to be happy? But uh, it it took him a long time with his own family. So that's a beautiful example. So I will stop here and uh, think about that today. If If you spend time with others, just allow yourself to have, first of all, that gentle awareness. We never want to push this uh, changing like the 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 whole pattern of our family interaction without it being very gentle and uh, gradual, or it's not going to work. It's not going to be. Um, it's it's not it's just not going to work. So, don't feel like you have to do it overnight. But really remember what he's talking about about making your home practice. Uh, be something that you enjoy and that you don't feel like you have to put all of this me, me, me in with it. And uh, let it be more gentle awareness and eventually connecting the dots so your practice at home is is very rich and gives you gives you what you want from it, helps us all. And for all of us, it's helping us wake up. So 
a, a new way to celebrate Easter is think about that, that that renewal and that uh, springtime, you know, if, if whatever whatever faith you're in, it's it's right now this spring season is connected with that rebirth, that renewal, uh, liberation. So enjoy the day and enjoy gentle awareness. Just begin by just whatever you're doing, working on being mindful with everything we do, remember to make it gentle and just keep going. So thank you so much. It's wonderful to spend time with you on this uh, beautiful Easter symbolic morning. I'll see you on Tuesday.